Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football, the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to CelebrityQB.com. To another edition of the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. It is Championship Sunday, and we have uh, some football to talk about. Uh, we're going to get to that in a bit. I do want to touch upon uh, Saturday night's action because we had some interesting developments uh, throughout the world of sports, so I'll, I'll get into that. We had some interesting developments also this morning uh, <laughs> that I'll get into as well for the Premier League, uh, so uh, quite a bit, so we've we got a lot to talk about, so I'll get right down to business, so I'm uh, going to start off with uh, the Warriors and Rockets last night, uh, Warriors uh, had the 14-game winning streak on the road, snapped by the Rockets, uh, you know, this game was uh, tight throughout, uh, Rockets had the lead, Warriors were constantly uh, uh, scratching back, and it looked like the Warriors... Uh, we're going to take control of this game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, all of a sudden, Golden State just had a ton of turnovers. And you may say, Dwayne, well, can't you just say that the Rockets forced those turnovers? And I, I'd be inclined to say yes, but some of those were just bad decisions with the uh, basketball that the Warriors had. They had wide-open guys that they clearly missed. It's it's one, It's like uh, the comparison I would make to that game would be the win the Knicks had in Utah Friday night where... The Knicks, uh, you know, basically was were given the game by Utah because Utah had multiple chances to win that game and just could not get out of their own way. So, yeah, it counts as a W, but in a way, I look at that and I'm saying nine times out of ten, you're going to lose that game. And to me, the Rockets, as well as Chris Paul played because he balled. I mean, 33 points, 11 to uh, uh, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. I mean, Chris Paul was balling last night. And that was an A-plus game from Chris Paul. Uh, Harden played well, uh, too, uh, with his contributions. But as well as that uh, that backcourt played, 
that game was still so close for the Rockets to be at home. I, I can't take this team seriously as a contender in the West. I know people are going to say that, well, they won the, won the game, so they have to be considered seriously. But that was the most uh, uh, agreeable atmosphere for them to actually be in. It was a primetime game Saturday night. Crowd was pumped. Warriors coming in on the winning streak. Uh, a little bit of a grind uh, for them, but they, they were getting through it. But the Warriors, uh, did, uh, for that for their part, didn't come out sharp. They weren't necessarily engaged. Houston was. They took advantage of that. But at the same time, uh, the Warriors were right there. They took the lead back. It was going back and forth for the fourth quarter. And then the Warriors just got self-destructed in the last three minutes of the game with a ton of turnovers. And I, as I said, it's just one of those situations where I have a tough time looking at the Rockets seriously uh, moving forward because when you uh, when you break it down, I mean, it is what it is. The only way the Rockets can seriously make a run uh, and uh, just do damage is if Chris Paul and James Harden play out of their minds. But again, with a backcourt like that, it is very hard to keep playing that well, that consistently uh, throughout uh, the playoffs. I, I just look at this and I'm, I'm saying to myself, that was about as well as the Rockets could play, and the Warriors were playing basically at 75, maybe 80. Uh, the Warriors have another gear to go, and that's the problem that Houston's uh, going to face. So uh, after the game, Clint Capella was bragging about how uh, <laughs> how they... <laughs> Uh, they, <laughs> I mean, uh, I can't even take it seriously. Clint Capella actually had the nerve to say that uh, they're better than the Warriors. Uh, I mean, no one takes that one seriously. Uh, I mean, at least they shouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So the Rockets got their win. Uh, so they have, they have the right to feel good about themselves and uh, uh, what they were able to accomplish. I just look at it from the standpoint of, uh, you know, yeah, they they uh, they they did uh, they did what they needed to do to get a win. It's just that I I just see how much damage uh, the Warriors can do in a given day, and you know I I just look at it. and I'm saying the gulf between those two teams is actually even wider than I, I initially thought. I thought it, it might be a struggle, but t- again, the fact that that game was that close in the fourth quarter with the Rockets being at home. And, you know, Steph didn't play great. I mean, it wasn't a good shooting night for him. He was clearly off. It, just so many factors benefited the Rockets, and it was still that close of a game. That's the worrying sign. If I'm a Rockets fan, I, I look at that and I'm saying, yeah, we won the game, but all those factors played a role, and we still were struggling. Now, another team that should definitely be panicking now uh, is the Cavs. That loss yesterday, just getting run out of the building by OKC, who, you know, OKC has uh, gotten better at uh, managing themselves uh, in the last uh, two weeks. Uh, they seem to have righted the ship in, in a way where Melo is taking fewer shots and not complating. Strangling his <laughs> surprisingly 
<laughs> I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's just one of those things where uh, uh, I, I look at the OKC and I'm seeing a team that's improving uh, week to week, which is what they needed to do. But the, on the Cavs side, the Cavs don't have answers. And it's blatantly obvious that the Cavs don't have answers because uh, it's an effort issue. I mean, the effort is not there. And if you're not going to hustle against Russell Westbrook, he's going to eat you alive. Uh, Russ had 23 points and 20 assists. I mean, there were so many wide-open cutters uh, that Russ could hit on plays that, uh, I mean, that's why he had 20 assists. Uh, The guys are running all over Cleveland and cutting to the basket. The Cavs play no defense. They don't hustle for rebounds. They... I, I I I can't I can't even think of a time where I saw a LeBron team be this disinterested in playing. Uh, it's just one of those things. And LeBron's having a career year. If you're looking at his numbers, I mean, yeah, he wasn't great yesterday, but I mean, who was on the Cavs? <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things where uh, LeBron's doing what he can, but I, I'm just not seeing it. it I mean, uh, and. Uh, there was the whole Kevin Love getting injured in the, uh, the beginning of the game. I mean, it's a lot of a uh, uh, lot of things going on. They're saying it was a well. They they they're saying it's not an injury; is that it's an illness. But like I said, this this situation right here, something's something's uh, a bit a bit off because I mean, I I don't know what. Uh, the actual solution is, I don't think it's uh, DeAndre Jordan, but somebody in that rotation is going to get have to get moved out. And like I said, brought up before, uh, Kimball Walker actually makes sense for the Cavs. If you don't believe Isaiah Thomas can get the ship righted in time for the playoffs. Uh, that's all I'm saying. You, the Cavs have a one-year window uh, with LeBron here because... Even with bringing in his best friend, Jelly, well, I can't remember if LeBron's peanut butter or Wade's jelly, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Even with bringing in Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, LeBron's not going to be happy with the results he's getting out of this team. So I just think that uh, overall, uh, Cleveland's got a ton of questions they need to answer fast. And it's not going to be readily... uh, easy easy fix either so uh, regardless uh, they've got some work to do and fast now moving on to the fight game uh, plenty going on between boxing UFC Bellator so I'll start with the boxing first uh, Errol Spence Jr. Uh, defended his IBF belt against uh, Lamont Peterson uh, stopping him in the eighth round uh, dominant uh, performance by Spence I actually thought this fight was going to go the distance. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Spence dropped Peterson in the fifth. Uh, dominated him throughout. I mean, a lot of heart by Peterson just taking that beating. Uh, because, uh, again, uh, it got stopped after the seventh round. And, uh, well, technically he stopped in the eighth round. But, uh, before the eighth round started. But uh, it was because... Uh, Peterson's uh, trainer just threw in the towel, uh, which, again, I, I credit Peterson for taking that beating 
but his training did right by him because uh, Peterson could not intelligently defend himself uh, with uh, the shots he was eating from Spence. I mean, that was a virtuoso performance by Spence. Uh, so after the fight, uh, Errol Spence calls out Keith Thurman. Thurman has uh, still been uh, recovered from a hand injury, I believe. Uh, so he hasn't fought uh, in almost a year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was, I think he last fought in March. Uh, but Thurman's one of those guys that's just been around, uh, you know, kind of was one of those uh, folks angling for uh, maybe one more shot at Mayweather uh, before the injury. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, then he had the injury. So... Uh, I think that fight makes a ton of sense. Uh, it'd be a, it'd be a big <laughs> fight in the welterweight de- uh, decision. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that's just one of those uh, uh, that's just one of those things where I, I look at it and I'm saying, uh, uh, you know, you could you could have Spence uh, Thurman. Uh, but, uh, the, the other thing, uh, you could also do is you could pair up Spence with, uh, uh Terrence Crawford. I think that would be an, an impressive, uh, fight too, uh, that you could put on. So, uh, I mean, Spence, Danny Garcia, I mean, there are, there are fights to put on, uh, for boxing. So, uh, we, we, we see, uh, we see... This happened all the time. I hope boxing uh, figures uh, figure uh, gets out of its own way and figures out a way of putting on some of these fights because you've got talented guys uh, in, in the similar weight classes that are uh, you can uh, pair up with each other. Uh, I think boxing's been taking better strides in the recent uh, two years to kind of get itself back on track with not saving all these uh, fighters to just like fight no one nobody's and then build up suspense for years and years of guys not fighting each other to then make uh, a whole ton, a ton of money so uh, we'll see where it goes but uh, definitely an impressive performance by Earl Spence Jr. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he's uh, gonna be quickly climbing out the pound for pound rankings after that uh, performance because uh, it, it was uh Pretty much flawless, if you will, uh, on that front. So, anyway, moving on. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Bellator event last night. Uh, so, uh, with uh, the co-main event, unfortunately, they went with the Heavyweight Grand Prix Tournament as the final fight, which just depresses me to no end. It, it should be about your best fighters, but I, I get it. Bellator has to sell. Uh, the heavyweights uh, as the main draw because people s- seem to cling to heavyweights as being the most important division. So uh, Bellator is buying into that uh, business model as well. Uh, you had Chael Sonnen winning over Rampage Jackson, and it was the worst case scenario that I was afraid of. Chael did nothing but wrestle Rampage to the ground. Rampage gassed himself out after the first uh, first round and basically couldn't offer anything to get himself back up, uh, if you will, and just finish Chael. It's like Rampage's best round was the first round, and then he ran out of gas. Uh, just really, really disappointing that it, uh, Rampage's cardio was that bad. Uh, Ch- Chael's, uh, again, not a heavyweight. 
he's barely a light heavyweight. Uh, he's really a middleweight uh, that's just bulked up over the years. But he's, I mean, it, he's built uh, for the middleweight division, not light heavyweight, for, for certain not heavyweight. Uh, so he gets to move on to face the winner of uh, Frank Mir versus Fedor Emelianenko. And Fedor, for those of you who don't know, was the greatest pound-for-pound fighter in the history of MMA 15 years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how long ago Fedor's prime was. Uh, Fedor has it's been a monster in the industry for years, but has passed his prime well over a decade ago. And I kept saying this to people, the reason why Fedor didn't fight in the UFC... Is because he passed his prime and he didn't want to get embarrassed in UFC. But he still stayed around and kept trying to fight. And in Bellator, he got exposed. I, I mean, it's simple as that. So, uh, Fedor is back for more cash, I guess. I I don't get why Fedor is in this tournament. I, I, I really don't. Because uh, just looking at the... F- uh, <laughs> Looking at the video last night while watching the event, I mean, Fedor was carrying a lot of pounds. I mean, a lot of pounds. Even more than when he was at the tail end of his uh, career a decade ago. Uh, just did, I mean, yeah, he, he's he got a ways away from the, uh, the next fight, uh, which I believe his fight is in April. But I, I just... I'm not sold on Fedor even being remotely close to being ready. Uh, as much as it pains me to say that Frank Mir should win this fight, I, I think you actually have to put money on Mir. Uh, I don't even know what the lines are. Uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, not. I was so inclined to even look at the lines for that fight, uh, but I, I may have to because looking at Fedor last night was uh, pretty depressing. So. Uh, that was the eventual final fight, but the fight uh, that people should be talking about is a fight that uh, will not go down as a fight of the year, can it? But it was a very good fight uh, between uh, Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima for the uh, welterweight belt in Bellator. Uh, I talked about uh, McDonald before. He's a top uh, three or top five welterweight, depending on who you're asking. And you know what? I, I came away from that fight thinking the, uh, Roy outpointed for the belt. But if you're telling me who's the more dangerous fighter, it's Douglas Lima. Douglas Lima whooped up on Roy McDonald. Uh, I mean, uh, busted him up, broke his nose. Most, in all likelihood, broke his nose. Uh, busted his leg. I mean, the hematoma on Roy McDonald's calf was just growing i mean he even described it as like a baby <laughs> growing inside of him because of how big the hematoma got uh he could he could barely stand on it uh for sure couldn't walk on it as soon as the fight ended uh so Rory mcdonald wins by unanimous decision it was the right decision because he was able to wrestle lima to the ground and with through good technique and controlling hit uh, controlling his hip position was able to keep lima down from exploding or turning away or escaping. So Lima's got to work on that. Uh, It's just there are too many skillful guys in the UFC who can wrestle uh, that you're not going to win 
uh, matchups that way where if you can't figure out how to get off your back, uh, I mean, you're going to get beat. There, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But for the power alone and the damaging cause, yeah, Lima won that fight hands down. But in terms of technical, because that's what <laughs> these fights have to be judged on, yeah, Roy McDonald won the fight. But if you're telling me who's the baddest man in that uh, that uh, octagon last night, yeah, it was Douglas Lima. Uh, there, I don't think anyone should be questioning that. Uh, Lima absolutely ripped Rory a new one. It's just that Rory fought a smart game plan, uh, still maintained a uh, position even though his leg was jacked up, uh, didn't let the pain get to him. He he made sure to uh, do what he needed to do to uh, keep the mat on, uh, match on the ground and uh, grind his way to a victory. So to recap, I got... The Spence victory, which was a no-brainer, but uh, I got the round wrong. I thought it was going to go the distance. Uh, on the Bellator side, uh, I got the Lima pick wrong. Yeah, it's true, but uh, I, I I still think he won the damage battle, but Roy McDonald got the win, which wasn't surprising uh, given that he was the favorite. But uh, uh, Lima, I think, still impressed people. He impressed me, and sadly... <laughs> Chael Sutton actually won. Uh, he's just going to clog up that uh, tournament. Uh, but the trash talk will be interesting, to say the least. So uh, there's always that. So moving on to the UFC side of things, uh, you had uh, the matchup between Cormier and Ustamir. Uh, Cormier did his thing, uh, just beat the crap out of Ustamir, to be honest. Uh, uh, he, he, hit him, he hit him pretty good on the stand-up game. Then from uh, there on out, he was actually able to take down Ustamir and uh, got the finish, uh, put him in the crucifix uh, position. Uh, Ustamir had no answers for what Cormier was able to do. Uh, the one thing about Cormier, and you know, people don't give him credit, he's able to strike with people. Uh, I think uh, he gets a bad rap because of uh, being uh, having difficulties against John Jones, but... Everyone has difficulties against John Jones. Uh, John Jones is still the best uh, light heavyweight in the world uh, if he actually got his act straight. But again, no one truly knows what John Jones is at this point because uh, with John Jones getting popped for steroids again, you're not sure what John Jones is on or even doing at a given moment. So it's it's hard to trust him. So. That's why you have Cormier as champion, because he's the most reliable guy in the company. No no doubt about it. Uh, you know, just uh, keeps himself in decent shape, will do good interviews, do the PR, everything for the company. With no issues. So Cormier wins by second round stoppage. After the fight, uh, he kind of goes into a spiel about how he felt he needed to re-earn uh, the heavyweight title again after his loss to John Jones, uh, just given how devastating uh, that uh, finish was uh, of the knockout. So uh, he says that. He also says on behalf of his teammate Kane Velasquez that whoever wins between Stipe and Nganu is going to lose to Kane, which I thought was kind of weird because... I'm not sure if Kane actually gave him the endorsement to state that he was coming to take the belt. Uh, it, it seemed to be great pub for Kane uh, just to make sure that the UFC matchmakers uh, uh, make it happen. But uh, 
I'm not entirely sure I would want my own teammate at uh, my gym giving uh, my opponent bulletin board material that uh, the title's coming off of me, uh, especially when Stipe went out of his way to say he felt disrespected by the entire MMA community by uh, Nganu getting an automatic title shot less, uh, in less than a month uh, and having people say that he was uh, a prohibitive favorite against them too. So uh, interesting uh, post-game uh, comments uh, from uh, uh, DC there, but, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he was emotional at the time, so uh, maybe that had something to do with it. So, on to the main event with uh, Steve uh, Stipe Miocic uh, versus uh, Francis Ngannou. Uh, you know, this kind of went the way I, I, I thought it might. And, you know, uh, similar to Cormier, I thought Cormier would finish uh, uh, quickly over Ustamir. Uh, Stipe won the fight that, that I thought he should have uh, tried to go after with Ngannou. Uh, exchange with him a little bit, but keep out of the, the, the pocket with the danger zone. Uh, because uh, he, he got tagged a couple of times in that first round, uh, so he could sense uh, Nganu's power. So uh, after that point, uh, he kind of let Nganu tire himself out by staying just outside the pocket, let Nganu chase him a bit, and then took him down with his wrestling. And from there on, Nganu had no answers. Uh, after getting taken down, Stipe was able to control the action uh, the rest of the way through all five rounds. Uh, after, uh, so... Uh, Basically, Stipe won by unanimous decision over Nganu. Nganu was dead tired after the second round, and it just persisted throughout. Where he didn't even he was he was legitimately a statue from rounds three through five, just standing in the middle of the octagon, trying to wave on Stipe to uh, fight him in the pocket because he was so tired that he didn't have the energy with his muscle mass to actually move with Stipe whenever. Uh, Stipe would try to cir- uh, circle around him. So, uh, you know, well-executed game plan by Stipe. Uh, my criticism for Ngana was just, yeah, you can get the title shot, but a, m- a month training time for a five-round fight is, you know, that's it's crazy. Uh, I mean, yes, I know uh, he had uh, finished so many guys quickly, but you never know in a title fight where it's going to go. And Stipe always had the back, that in the back of his mind that if I can get this guy into deep water, he's going to drown because he's never been in a five-round uh, fight, let alone seen uh, past the third round of a fight. Uh, it's just one of those where uh, he, he kind of knew where the limitations uh, might be for Ngannou, and Ngannou indulged him by punching himself out in the first round and just having no gas tank uh, for rounds two through five and just tiring out quickly, which just made it academic for Stipe at that point because he could just circle around him, circle around, uh, wait for uh, a chance for a single leg take out or just a trip and just get him back down on his back again. And that was all for Nganu uh, in that round because he didn't have any energy left, so he couldn't fight his way out of being taken down. So... Uh, Again, uh, you know, performance by the champ uh, with Stipe. Talked about how he was being disrespected, uh, but he didn't care about that because he was going to be a dad, so he was excited about that. So, I, I mean, I'm happy for Stipe because he is a very good representative for uh, USC. You know, seems to be blue-collar, kind of hardworking 
Uh, kind of guy there. Uh, so uh, just well-rounded fighter. Uh, can wrestle, can box with you. Uh, just all around an excellent uh, representative of the heavyweight division. Now, with that being said, if what Cormier says is true and that Kane is finally feeling 100% healthy and is ready to go, Kane Velasquez healthy is the most dangerous man in the UFC heavyweight division. I don't care uh, what anyone says about that. Kane's cardio and wrestling ability, uh, combined with his power, make him the most dangerous guy. Uh, Stipe, excellent boxer. Uh, I think Kane's uh, uh, wrestling would actually neutralize that completely and just take him down and then grind him out. Uh, and it wouldn't be an easy fight uh, by no stretch of the imagination. Stipe is very tough. I, I-, I think Kane uh, might actually have uh, a very difficult time trying to finish Stipe in a title fight. Uh, but I think it, uh, in a title fight, Kane wins that probably 49 uh uh, 49, 40, uh, 46. Uh, it's just one of those matchups where I think it's a bad matchup for Stipe because everything that Stipe does well, uh, Kane can answer for because uh, Kane can move uh, uh, just as well as, as uh, some of the best heavyweights. And in terms of his striking, uh, he's got impressive power, but he has the wrestling ability. So for Stipe to win that kind of match, uh, he'd have to kind of employ the same game plan, but Kane's martyr. Uh, than that, uh, than what Ngannou showed. He's not going to punch himself out. He's not going to overextend himself and leave himself vulnerable uh, to a takedown. So I think that makes it a very difficult prospect for uh, Stipe to hold his belt if he had, if Kane is uh, indeed the next fight coming up. Uh, we'll see what uh, uh, Dana White uh, uh, works out on in terms of the details for the UFC. Uh, but uh, it makes the most sense because Kane's the most marketable guy in the heavyweight division as well. Uh, they were building up Ngannou to maybe uh, take over that role if uh, Kane uh, uh, had further setbacks in terms of himself. But, uh, you know, Stipe held on, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. So now, uh, finally, uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, before I get into the football, uh, just the randomness of the uh, Premier League this year. Uh, so uh, this morning, Everton... I mean, I'm saying Everton. Watford Football Club announced the firing of their manager, Marco Silva, citing irreconcilable differences from the pursuit of Everton Football Club two months ago uh, for the services of Marco Silva. So the backstory on this is Watford uh, uh, was uh, about, I believe, sixth or seventh in the table at one point in the season. Uh, they may have even gotten as high as fifth. Uh, uh, given how slowly Tottenham and Arsenal started the year. Uh, but, uh, you know, Watford was up there. And Everton was in a free uh, free fall with uh, Ronald Koeman. Uh, Koeman gets sacked and Everton's going through their uh, manager search. And their number one target is Marco Silva. Uh, it seemed as though Silva was interested in the Everton offer. Uh, offer uh, but Watford was... Uh, uh, not willing to uh, actually give him up. So, Everton goes uh, in a different direction. They hire uh, Big Sam Allardyce, and uh, Watford keeps uh, Silva, except uh, Watford uh, has been on a losing uh, streak, and uh, only one victory since that time. And this morning, decide to fire Marco Silva, 
citing uh, the tampering with Everin as the cause for the disharmony uh, in the relationship between uh, the management group and uh, Silva. My thing is, if Marco Silva told you he wanted to take the Everton job, and Everton's paying is willing to pay you ten million dollars, why the why on earth are you putting up a fight to keep Marco Silva when he's already stated that he wants to take the job? It, it, it's classic situation where if you're going if you're going to go down that route, you can't pay him the same amount. You have to match the offer. You have to pay. You have to pay what Everton's paying, and then some. If you're going to go down that route, because if you're going to hold him beholden to the contract, yeah, he's going to be pissed off, and yeah, the team's going to be annoyed too because the players are going to quit on him, which they did. Uh, there's no, there's no denying that because there seems to be multiple issues in the uh, in the Watford locker room where they lost, uh, they lost interest in listening to Silva. Upon hearing that he was willing to move over to Everton. So, uh, Watford has a ton of egg on their face. Because as soon as Silva mentioned that he was interested in leaving, that's when you... I mean, if you want to counter the offer, counter it. But you don't hold the man to the contract and say, Oh, well, you're beholden to the contract and think that everything's going to be hunky-dory after that. That's just... That's a name. You have to have some foresight. So now... You still fired the guy, so you don't have the manager that you wanted because obviously you thought enough of Marcus Silva that you, you hired him in the first place and he turned your club around uh, to the point where you're going to be at the top of the table. You're still only in 10th position, so you're in the middle of the table. He could have turned all this around by just signing him to an extension and backing him in front of the players. But instead, you fired the guy and you don't get the $10 million from Everton. This is just one of those decisions where you just look at it as like, how is that even remotely good business sense? It's not. So Watford now could actually find themselves in a relegation battle because I've talked about it before. The middle to bottom end of the table is tightly packed. Watford had a ton of clear distance between themselves in that fray. But because of this decision and the form they've been in, Unless they buy players at, uh, in the transfer window, which I don't see happening because Watford is not one of those clubs. They've been very cheap at the transfer deadline uh, year after year, which is why they've cycled through so many managers because the managers get ticked off with uh, uh, the behavior of uh, Watford's uh, uh, board of directors. That I I think Watford's going to end up uh, find themselves in the middle of the relegation battle. I don't think it improves the situation one bit. Uh, you back the players, but the players aren't really that good. I mean, you've got mid-table quality players on that squad. Uh, you, yes, you have uh, Richarlison and du- uh, Ducare, who are talented enough to play on some of the top teams in England, but if you look look down some of the rest of that roster, that is a mid-table club. So uh, that was the shocker news of the day. Uh, meanwhile, the... Alexis Sanchez, uh, uh, Henry Mkhitaryan uh, swap, non-swap and money, uh, that saga is still ongoing. Uh, I'll have more on that once it actually clears, so we'll dedicate uh, all due justice to that uh, transaction and the Arsenal saga, where do they go from here, uh, Ben, in a future episode. So uh, as it stands now, I'm going to get into uh, the NFL matchups just because we're uh, we're getting into the uh, thick, uh, deep end of things, and we're already 
more than a half hour into the podcast. So just my thoughts in general about Handgate coming up today between the Pats and the Jags. Uh, you know, everyone and their mother has an opinion on the health of Tom Brady this week. And my stance is this. It's Tom Brady. It's the New England Patriots. You're not going to get information on exactly what happened, like exact details. It emerged late that the cut on Tom Brady's hand may have been due to Rex Burkhead uh, coming too close on a handoff and cutting uh, the throwing hand. If that's the case, as long as they check for ligament damage, didn't find anything, yeah, he can play through it. He's going to have stitches, which is probably why he's got the glove on at all times because you don't want to rip open the stitches and cause another issue uh, of uh, having to get it restitched again. I mean, that's just going to cause even more problems. So does it seem like it's going to prevent Tom Brady from playing uh, effectively? No, this just looks more like a nuisance. But yet, everyone's treating it like it's the end of the world. So the line has dropped from 10.5 to 7.5, which to me just screams, what are we doing? Uh, Honestly, this to me is a clear slam dunk of take the pats, take the pats, don't look back, take the pats. That's all there is to it. Because at, at the end of the day, Blake Bortles is the worst quarterback that the uh, the Patriots have gone up against in the playoffs since Mark Sanchez. And even then, yeah, could you say, could you say that the um, uh, uh, overall uh, scope of the Jags defense could somehow injure Brady and knock him out and makes it a Brian Horry game? Yeah, it's a possibility, but let's deal with facts. The fact is that Tom Brady's playing with a glove on his hand uh, because they think it's just stitches and they don't want it to uh, tear open. If that's the case, then we don't have an issue with throwing the football or gripping the football. It's just a matter of uh, protecting the hand so it doesn't bleed all over the place. So with that being said, Tom Brady's going to be playing, and Tom Brady, knowing his preparation work, uh, has probably been wearing that glove day and night, getting as comfortable with it as humanly possible uh, so that it won't be an issue today. So I expect Brady to be on top of his game even more than usual because he knows uh, what the stakes are and he's not going to let uh, stitches get in the way of him putting up numbers. And in order to win this game, Jacksonville's going to have to score at least 27 points. I don't see where they're going to get 27 points out of this team unless the defense scores uh, a defensive touchdown. And the Pats are very good at minimizing mistakes on the offensive end. Uh, to avoid uh, giving up uh, uh, points uh, to the other team. So, uh, again, uh, I'll go into further analysis of uh, things to look out for, but uh, that's the long and short of it. I just think the hand gate stuff has been overblown. And New Orleans has uh, fed into the melodrama with the media because they want Jacksonville thinking about the hand and everything else and not focusing on what they need to be doing, which is getting pressure up the middle in Tom Brady's face to make sure he can't step up into his throws. That's what Jacksonville needs to be worried about, not trying to knock Tom Brady out of the game. Yeah, it could happen, yeah, but uh, trying to get overly aggressive uh, uh, to uh, hit Tom Brady uh, could end up backfiring in the worst way possible for the Jags. To that end, you have to kind of look at what can uh, 
the Jags do to somehow keep in this game? And first and foremost, it's going to be keeping New England off the field. So Blake Bortles is going to have to figure out a way of not sucking. Uh, he's, <laughs> I mean, it's simple as that. Blake Bortles is going to have to throw the football. Somehow, some way, he's going to have to figure out a way of completing passes more than eight yards and throwing into tight spots, which he's not good at. But he's he's going to have to figure out a way, either through scheme or just the, because the, trying to do the dump ball passes, New England's going to be hip to that. Uh, they, they, they scouted him well. Uh, he's not going to be able to just throw up crap and hope that the receiver comes down with it. Uh, New England's going to be prepared for that. Blake Bortles is going to have to figure out a way of throwing us. Uh, just keep it simple. Throw passes up the seam, throw a slant. I, I mean, it, he, he's not good at throwing out and ins. He's not good at throwing uh, deep outs. Those are not what, that's not what Blake Bortles can do. You have to focus on what he can do, uh, which uh, is just stay within the rules, just through uh, the, some of the most rudimentary, simple throws, the throws that uh, can uh, limit uh, just his poor mechanics overall. And, you know, if he can find some opportunities to scramble, scramble. But he's got to figure out a way of taking enough pressure off of Leonard Fournette, who's banged up, uh, to actually get himself uh, in a spot where he can uh, uh, be effective and then use TJ Yeldon on third down uh, to move the chains. That That's what it comes down to for Jacksonville. They got to use their offense to help their defense uh, uh, get some uh, get some breathers because it's going to be a, a task and a half for the Jacksonville defense to keep New England from scoring enough points to force Blake Bortles into a uh, throwing 40-plus times to win the game scenario because Jacksonville's going to lose that every time. Moving over to what the Pats need to do, and it's pretty simple. Stick to the game plan. Uh, the Pats, at their best of what they do, is they like to run with two running backs and uh, split Gronk out wide and ma- make it more of a... Uh, of a base formation where you have uh, two wide receivers, you have Grunk uh, in, in a spot where he can either uh, split out wide or uh, uh, stay in and uh, run the uh, routes, uh, uh, run routes uh, along the seam. Uh, but the two running backs uh, is uh, something that the Pats have done consistently throughout the year. I think it's going to cause a ton of issues for Jacksonville trying to pick him up out of the backfield. Because uh, someone's going to be have to allocate it to Gronk. I think it's probably going to be Miles Jack. Uh, so then you're left with Paul Puzzlezny or Telvin Smith trying to uh, catch up to Deion Smith or James White or Rex Burkhead, uh, who's also active for this game. Uh, I just think that New England's going to keep running those running backs uh, out of four different formations, which is the weakness of this Jacksonville defense. Uh, yeah, if you put them in a, a spot where they got to go against three-plus wide receivers. Yeah, they, they usually win that battle against teams. Uh, last week against Pittsburgh uh, was a little bit of an aberration, but, uh, you know, it's not a good time to have an aberration. So, obviously, uh, they uh, they did not get the job done last week in the second half. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, burned them multiple times, but uh, Big Ben was making some throws, too. So, got to give the Steelers some credit there, but... 
as stands. What again? Could the Jags play out their minds and make make a difference uh, uh, and cover the running backs effectively? Yes, but the data shows uh, that they've been susceptible to uh, running backs underneath routes. Uh, Le'Veon gashed them multiple times uh, last week. It's going to be even worse today. The Patriots are going to run a ton of routes to uh, James White, Deion Lewis, Rex Burkhead, because uh, they're very good out of the backfield. I, I just think that they're going to nickel and dime them. I'm not expecting much out of uh, the likes of Brandon Cooks and company, Amendola, Hogan. I think they're going to have a tough time, but I definitely see a lot coming out of the running backs for New England. So, uh, the, you know, again, this – could uh, I mean Jacksonville could have come up with a brilliant game plan to neutralize those guys? I just don't see it happening because if you uh, were able to do it, you would have figured it out in the regular season too. So again, New England stick to the game plan. Jacksonville try to figure out a way of shielding Blake Bortles by running some of the most rudimentary throws. I mean, this is one of the easiest game plans that Bill Belichick has ever had to come up with to stop an offense because it's such a pedestrian offense with no frills that it's one of those where it's just, you got to execute. That's all there is to it. There's no, there's nothing complex to figure out with what Jacksonville's doing. So, uh, I mean, uh, uh, there are high schools that run this offense uh, just uh, because they have a mobile quarterback who can't throw. So again, nothing out of the ordinary here from Jacksonville. So, uh, Jacksonville just has to execute their plays when they, the opportunity presents itself. New England, just don't overthink it. Uh, uh, play uh, off of uh, what you do best, and uh, you'll take it from there. Now, uh, in terms of the NFC matchup, uh, we've got to address uh, what it is. And what we have here is uh, basically two teams uh, with quarterbacks with severe limitations. But, in that same regard, you got two defenses uh, that can at least, at the very least, support their uh, quarterback. So, regardless, uh, I think uh, you're going to get, um, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna get some turnovers in this game. I, I, I just think that uh, regardless of how uh, Foles plays or Case Keenan plays, uh, the difference of... Uh, this matchup comes down to who can convert uh, more efficiently on third down and who has the fewer ter- uh, fewest turnovers. Uh, realistically, uh, Philly's defense has been very good at home, uh, only allowing 13 points a game. I don't expect uh, Minnesota to be able to score more than 20 points this game. Uh, I-, I think Minnesota uh, basically uh, tapped out uh, – uh, is uh, would tap out around 17 points a game, 17 points today. So it's just a matter of what can Nick Foles actually do offensively uh, to get Philly a win here. And long and short of it is, is that as uh, as well as the Saints play in the second half last week to get themselves back in the game, uh, Sendejo was injured on the Vikings. I think uh, healthy Sandejo, they probably win that game comfortably against the Saints if he doesn't get hurt uh, with a concussion. Uh, Sandejo should be playing today. I think uh, defense may not be as fast 
this week uh, just because they're not on turf indoors, but I still think they're going to be fast. I think they're going to give Nick Foles a ton of trouble. Uh, the only matchup I liked for Philly against the Vikings defense would be Nelson Aguilar against Terrence Newman, who somehow is still in the league uh, at his a- advanced age of playing in the slot. But I, I think Aguilar can win that matchup consistently. Uh, so I'm looking for uh, Foles to actually go to him early and often rather than trying to force the ball into Jeffrey. Uh, and, you know, outside of that, uh, you know, the biggest thing I see in this game is can Minnesota run the football effectively against Philly's run defense? Latavius Murray had a decent week last week. I'm not sure if Latavius Murray can get 60 yards today against Philly's rush defense. Uh, they've been that good. Uh, uh, Deion Lewis has been... I mean, I'm saying Deion Lewis. I, I mean, Jarek McKinnon has been better uh, out of the backfield. And also, uh, McKinnon can carry the ball uh, and run between tackles, too. There's, so there's, uh, there's not much delineation there. I just think he might be able to hit the hole a little bit faster than uh, Murray could. So... I give a little bit more of an uh, edge to McKinnon uh, from a fantasy perspective uh, than I would Latavius Murray. And also on the uh, Minnesota offense, uh, you know, Adam Thielen has back issue. I'm looking at Diggs as possibly stepping up a little bit more uh, today in light of uh, the Thielen injury. Thielen uh, might be more of a tournament play uh, versus Diggs. Uh, you know, you could see the likes of Jarius Wright in the game. But again, I think ultimately this comes down to how good is the arm of Case Keenum that can he throw when guys are covered and throw it to where they can get themselves open? Does he have the courage to do that and risk throwing a bad-looking interception? Uh, We're going to find out soon enough because uh, he's going to get tested again, and he didn't really fare well against the Saints last week. Eagles are a slightly better defense than the Saints, and they're at home. Uh, I would be very reluctant if I was a Minnesota fan uh, because, uh, you know, as it stands, Minnesota's a three po- uh, still a three-point favorite over Philly. Uh, I just, I'm looking at this matchup and I'm saying to myself, can't, it, it, two teams that are relatively equal. The question becomes, who do you actually trust more? And it, it's, uh, it's it's more along the lines of I give a little bit of an edge overall just to uh, the fact that Philly is playing with this chip on its shoulder, saying that they've been disrespected the most out of everyone. Uh, part of it also stems from the fact that Minnesota's been having to deal with this uh, Minneapolis miracle talk the entire way through. I, as much as it pains me to say it, I'm going to have to give the edge to Philly here uh, and uh, pick them to make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, But, uh, you know, I just look at it and I'm saying uh, this this is going to be a very tight game uh, just from the standpoint of uh, uh, the spread alone being uh, Vikings still favored by three. I just don't think you can take the Vikings uh, to cover three. I just think this is one of those where 
uh, it's either going to be a push or the Eagles as the dog take it. So uh, that's uh, where I've got it set up. Uh, so I'm going to get into the DFS right now. And uh, joining me for DFS discussion, we've got Cam. So uh, we're going to punch Cam in right now. Cam, how you doing today, buddy? So you're not so you're not believing in Bortles mania. Oh, I am. Oh, so 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 you're fully on board with uh, with Bortles mania. Unfortunately, yes. It's it's kind of a sad day, but that's what we're going with today. Oh wow! So Cam going with Blake Bortles at five grand on <laughs> DraftKings. Uh, all right. Uh, so, <laughs> just just wait, guys. Don't worry. Um, we don't plan to win. Uh, we plan to either get absolutely destroyed or absolutely destroyed. So, hey, it may happen. Hey, Cam. L- let me tell you something. People have been doubting Blake Bortles all year with good justification. This is the day that Blake Bortles can get his revenge on everyone and still get blown out. Because here's what I will say about Blake Bortles. He knows he's not very good. He knows that his job is tied to the fact that Jacksonville could not actually uh, bring in any other quarterback other than Kaepernick uh, to be to back him up because Tom Coughlin would never actually sign Colin Kaepernick kneeling. So... With that in mind, Blake Bortles knows that his only way of making it to the Super Bowl is to somehow not suck for 48 minutes by doing the very bare minimum of moving an offense. So what I think happens is he, for the first half, he stays very conservative and doesn't actually throw any passes over five yards. And so he just keeps chucking the ball down on uh, the likes of TJ Yeldon. And uh, maybe you get some underneath routes uh, to Mark Easley, but nothing even remotely dangerous. So to that end, if New England does what I think they'll do and actually uh, use a three running back uh, set with Burkhead, Deion Lewis, and James White and just force Jacksonville to try to chase them all across the field, uh, with Gronk obviously still in the lineup uh, acting as a decoy, I, I still think that Jag, the Jags end up going down by two touchdowns, at which point Blake Bortles is going to have to throw the football. And, yes, there's still a very good chance he's going to throw a pick, but I actually think Blake Bortles is going to put up 200 yards passing just off of dump-offs alone. So even though it's playing Blake Bortles, I still think he can get 200 yards passing today. As crazy as I sound right now. Dude, I, I can't believe you would ever talk about Blake like that. A.K. Malake. No way. You're never talking about him. <laughs> so, we, so what we're rocking right now, we're, we're, we're on this crap lineup, we're fading all, I'm fading all Patriots running backs right now. I'm fading them all. You're, okay, so you're, you're going to play contrarian to me. So uh, let's hear your lineup. Like, I'm playing the most ridiculous lineup right now. 
So, <laughs> uh, I'm playing Blake Bortles. I'm playing Jay Ajayi, dude. Whew. Watch, he's gonna he's he's gonna do it, dude. He's gonna score a TD today. We're playing Latavius, aka Lat the King. We're gonna play Amendola, get a little couple dumps, dude. And then you know we gotta play the King, Case Keenum's number one, Diggs, just because he scores the game winners. Then we're gonna play Alan Hearns. This is gonna be a tough one, but I'm still going with Rock. I'm going with Fournette, and I'm going Jags. I think Tom Brady does a pick today. See, one of the more interesting props today was uh, what's uh, who has more more touchdowns for Brady or more picks for Bortles. I think it's easy. You got to go more touchdowns for Brady. uh, than uh, Bortles picks because I just think Bortles isn't going to throw the football that much. Now, your lineup is the direct contrary to what I've got going on. Uh, exactly. It, That's the whole point. It's either going to just lose or lose. That's basically what it's probably going to do. <laughs> either way, I can't go against my boy Case because I hate the Eagles so much and I hate the Patriots so much. So I'm <laughs> taking Jets all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I hate him so much. I'm doing it. All right. To me, there are just two quarterbacks you can go with this weekend. You're either going to go with Brady or you're going to take Bortles Mania. So, to that end, uh, my lineup with Brady is as follows. Uh, we got Tom Terrific, in spite of the hand injury, going for 7700 Uh we're going to go with Rex Burkhead, who's active for today, 5,400, uh, just as a, a differential play versus everyone else who's going to be on James White and Deion Lewis. No. Uh, uh, the other running back, uh, I've got Jarek McKinnon for the Vikings. I, I think he's uh, due to have some uh, pass-catching opportunities, move the chains. Uh, I... I Kind of have my issues with Latavius Murray today just because the Eagles' rush defense usually is strong enough where I'm not sure that unless Latavius Murray gets a couple of goal line carries, he's got to get into the end zone today in order to pay back the valuation on him. Uh, just because, uh, you know, Latavius is still 5,700, uh, without him catching passes, he's got to get in the end zone. And that's, uh, that's my concern with him. Uh, I've got Chris Hogan in. It's getting in the end zone. Don't ever talk back to me. <laughs> uh, we got Chris Hogan in there at five grand. Uh, I think uh, Cooks is going to be neutralized by Jalen Ramsey, so I, I'm not uh, I'm not particular about playing uh, Cooks today. So voiding, fading him. Uh, gonna play Hogan. It could be Hogan or it could be Amendola. Uh, I'm going to throw it out there that uh, given Amendola's week last week, Jacksonville's going to be more concentrated on him. Plus, from a valuation standpoint, uh, uh, the money is about a $500 difference between Hogan and Amendola. So uh, I'll go with uh, Hogan, but you could slide in Amendola uh, if you chose to do so. Uh, you would have enough money with this lineup. My second wide receiver, Marquis Lee for the Jags, uh, pretty much has been the number one. 
yeah, there's a chance that Butler could be on him. But again, Blake Bortles is going to be throwing such short passes. I think they're going to uh, design a couple of plays uh, between uh, uh, what you're going to see from uh, Marquise Lee. You're going to see from D.D. Westbrook. There are going to be some really short passing plays. There could even be wide receiver screens. Uh, they're going to keep this as basic as possible for Blake Bortles not to cost them the game. So uh, I'll take a, I'll take a, a Marquise Lee on the cheap. I'll also take Nelson Aguilar on the cheap at 4,800. Uh, reason being that uh, Philly, I, I see uh, just based off of the Vikings' defense, uh, they've got a pick on the weakest link in the Vikings' secondary, and that will be Terrence Newman in the slot. Uh, Terrence Newman of many, many years with the Cowboys and pretty much every other team in the NFL at this point, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I gotta look at Aguilar should win that matchup. Uh, I kind of like uh, him to get the looks from uh, uh, Foles today, just because I, you know, I'm not sold on Foles being able to throw into coverage. So he's gonna look to the most open receiver he has, and I think that'll be Aguilar. Uh, and in the tight end spot, uh, you know what? I'm double dipping. I'm actually gonna go with Gronk uh, at 7900. But I'm also going to take Zach Ertz. And the reason being, I'm taking Zach Ertz over J.J. Uh, as the flex option here is the fact that I think uh, Ertz has more of a possibility of getting in the end zone than Ajayi or uh, Latavius Murray today. I, I think he has a decent rapport enough with Foles that uh, Foles, uh, if they get in the red zone, uh, Ertz is probably going to get the first lick uh uh, to get in there versus anyone else on the Eagles roster. So uh, that's that's my line of thinking for uh, Ertz. It's touchdown dependent, but I think he's got the best option in what should be a low-scoring game. Uh, first team to 20 probably wins Minnesota-Philly. So uh, I'm just looking at it. I'm saying uh, I, I'm i going to have to take uh, Ertz there. And as for the defense, uh, this is – uh, basically a toss-up between uh, either taking New England's defense or the Vikings' defense. If the Jags fall out of it enough, uh, New England's defense is going to get some sacks on Bortles. Uh, the other way you can go with this, and uh, I'm going to play uh, two separate lineups, uh, so you know, alternating between the two defenses, would be the Vikings' defense. I, I think the Vikings still uh, will generate... A, uh, sacks on uh, Nick Foles. Uh, I think Foles is liable to throw at least one or two picks today. Uh, even though I think it's going to be a razor close game, I, I definitely think you have uh, a little bit better option of of uh, getting turnovers uh, with the Vikings defense versus the Eagles defense today. Uh, just because I think Minnesota is going to play a much more conservative game than uh, Philly does. I think Philly has more options and should feel more pressure being at home, so I think they're going to try to throw air it out a little bit more, whereas the Vikings are going to keep it on the ground. That makes it a little bit harder to get valuation from the Eagles' defense. So uh, that's that's where I'm leaning towards on my Tom Brady lineup. My Bortles lineup goes like this. Uh, the Blake train at QB, God help me. Uh, hey, hey, don't be laughing on, on the Blake train. <laughs> Just, oh, God, this is... It's so painful to actually have to say it. Uh, it's hard to, 
say that we're um, in the uh, in the semifinals with Blake Bortles. I know it's a hard to, a hard thing to swallow. Yeah, so we got we got Blake uh, doubling up on Patriots running back. So Deion Lewis and James White is gonna follow is gonna follow the public, but you know. I'll use this uh, for mostly cash games, uh, this lineup. Uh, so, Deion Lewis, James White, uh, wide receivers. Uh, we got Stefan Diggs, uh, Aguilar, and Marquise Lee. Diggs, uh, given Thielen's back injury, I think it's uh, more likely that Diggs gets a few more targets uh, than uh, what you would see from Thielen normally. So, I think that's what makes uh, Diggs a little bit more valuable here. Uh, Gronk in the tight end spot for the obvious matchup uh, problems he poses. Uh, you, you hope they get you get a touchdown to Gronk. It's possible he doesn't get a touchdown, but he serves more as a decoy in the red zone. Uh, that's certainly a possibility. And in the flex, uh, got Jarek McKinnon uh, for the reasons I outlined uh, before. Uh, you're going to get uh, pass catching out of him uh, you're, and uh, moving the chains on third down. So I, I definitely like him as a play. And then Jags defense, uh, I still think you are going to put up numbers. The valuation of them being 2800 uh, just reeks of people are just going to be on the Jags. So especially for cash games, I think the Jags make sense because the Jags should be able to get some pressure on Brady and cause some uh, sacks up the middle with pressure. So I, I, liked, I like Jacksonville not being... Uh, the worst defense this weekend in terms of points. I think they they'll put up points, and their uh, their salary actually allows you to have a little bit more flexibility. So that's why I was able to afford uh, uh, Deion Lewis, James White, and McKinnon, and still keep Gronk and Diggs in the lineup. So uh, those are uh, the two lineups between Brady and Bortles. Uh, it's painful, but I, I think this is. Uh, the best way you end up having to kind of play this weekend because I just don't see the points coming out of Minnesota and Philly tonight. So you got to try to do what you can between Brady and Bortles to get your points out of QB spot and then see which role players uh, can uh, get you uh, some touchdowns. Oh, man. All right, I'm going three for three right here. I'm calling a Latavius Murray touchdown. I'm calling a J.J. touchdown. And I'm calling either a pick six or a fumble recovery touchdown with the Jags. (laughs) It's bold. It's bold, bold, Cam, but uh, we got you down. All right, so uh, let's get into it because we're uh, uh, getting a little bit short of time here. So uh, let's let's hear some. uh, uh, I'll I'll do my quick uh, lineups uh, for FanDuel, but while I, I get that situated, I want your picks for the games today. Uh, so the Pat spread is currently at seven and a half. Uh, who you got? Seven and a half. Ooh. Uh, I, I don't. I honestly, I, I don't think they're going. If I'm going to have to bet, I'm going I'm to go with Jags on this one. I'm not going to go seven and a half. See, we're we're going to have to disagree on this one again. See, no, I'm going all against you today. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the advocate here. I'm, I'm being the, the, the dick today, and I'm probably gonna lose, but I'm going against it. I mean, my 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 sentiment is that in order for the Jags to stay within a touchdown, Blake Bortles actually has to play well, 
and yeah, it'll. Yeah, I, I just I don't see where Blake is going to get the freedom uh, just because New England is smarter than that. It, it's uh, Blake has been able to take advantage of teams just not paying attention to the scouting report and s- recognizing that Blake Bortles will run if you don't actually pay attention to him. Uh, I just think that New England's just going to look at it. I was like, okay, uh, we see you there, Blake, so uh, we're going to cover you now. So... Uh, Oh man, I, I mean, I, I, I just have to look at it and just say, you know, it is what it is, but I, I look at it and I'm saying, you know, the Pats should be able to take care of business here uh, and win comfortably. Uh, I, I have a tough time. I, I, you know, I really think that they're going to win by at least 10 points. And probably two touchdowns. It, it It's just one of those where I look at it as like the original line was correct. I think the Pats just made this hand gate story up to be bigger than it is. I think Brady has a cut on his hand. I think he probably did get stitches. I just think the cold glove thing is just to make sure that, A, he doesn't reopen the stitches, which will cause him to miss some playing time. Because, again, you rip open a stitch, the, the, the blood spurts out even worse than before. So he's they're doing it to make sure that he doesn't miss any time during this game. So I, I just look at it as like Brady's been practicing like a fiend uh, to be uh, ready to throw the football with the glove on. So I just think he's just going to nickel and dime Jacksonville all game long and get him frustrated. Oh, yeah, all day. Like I said, I'm going straight what no one has. And again, I'm going on a 95% we're going to lose, but... If we win, no one's going to have them. So, um, and, you know, I hate New England. I'm a Cowboy fan. So, definitely. I hate them. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, <laughs> in, in terms of the, uh, in, ter- in terms of the, uh, uh FanDuel lineups, uh, today, uh, basically what I, what I've got set up here, uh, real quick, uh, yeah, just so you, uh, you 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 see if you give me the cat. Are you rubbing this in my face because I can't play Sandal? <laughs> yes, Cam. I, I I am bringing it. I'm bringing up the fact again that the state of Texas will not allow you to play Fan Fanduel. <laughs> okay, I see how this is, man. Uh, you're pissing me off, me money. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, the. Uh, the picks I've got for uh, 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 Fanduel go as follows. So we've got Tom Brady, Deion Lewis uh, at 7,700, Jarek McKinnon 6,800, Stefan Diggs uh, mainly because he becomes the number one if Thielen truly is banged up with the back. I, I think they're going to use him more as a decoy. Aguilar because we talked about the Terrence Newman matchup. D.D. Westbrook, I... I look at it as like he's cheap enough at 5,500, uh, fits within the budget. Uh, a lot of short throws. Gronk because it's Gronk. Uh, you you can't uh, you can't try to fade him in uh, in a lineup as 
thin as it is this week. I, I just think that's uh, asking for trouble. Goskowski is the kicker. Uh, Jags are going to hold New England on a couple of possessions. Uh, so they'll do some bend but don't break. So they'll just give up the field goal. So I actually like Goskowski among all the kickers today. I know, uh, you know, there's a possibility of uh, Elliott uh, topping him just because it's going to be a really close game between Philly and Minnesota uh, kicking field goals. But uh, I'm going to give the edge to Gaskowski just because uh, he, he's done it time and again in the playoffs. And for the defense, I'm going to go with Jags defense. Uh, I talked about it before. I think they're going to get pressure on Brady still, even though uh, they're, they're eventually going to lose. I, I just think that they'll generate enough uh, sacks that uh, you, you can get valuation out of them, uh, even though their offense isn't going to put up much against New England. So uh, there's the FanDuel lineup uh, I'm going with. Uh, in terms of the games themselves, like I said, I think New England's going to win this one. Uh, I think they're going to win it comfortably as much as it's going to annoy everyone and their mother outside of uh, the greater New England area. Uh, I just think that the Pats are going to the Super Bowl again to defend their title. And on the NFC side, you know, it pains me to say this, but I'm actually going to have to side with the Eagles. Uh, and it'll be it'll, it'll be a really tight game, but the, the problem is, is that I have a tough time uh, taking Minnesota uh, favored by three points when I don't know if Minnesota can even score 20 points in this game. And when it's going to be that low scoring of a game, typically you take the home underdog just because it's so tight that it's either going to end up as a push or the home dog's going to end up uh, pulling it out. So I think uh, Philly is the bet at uh, plus three. And I think Philly probably wins this one outright, even though it'll be one of the ugliest games you'll ever see. And Minnesota will probably botch two or three chances to win this game outright. Uh, but, you know, they really have nothing to complain about since they shouldn't even be in this game in the first place. How dare you? Diggs had the best move to win that game. <laughs> yeah, he, to- he, totally, he totally planned that one out. And Case Keenum? Oh, man, what a beast, man. I, I can't believe you would ever talk bad about him. I, I Well, I didn't talk bad about him. I just merely said that the legend of Case Keenum might have a speed bump today. He's still going to get paid in the offseason. I, I, totally, I totally agree because he can't last that long. But I I agree, to be honest, with New England and Philly being in the Super Bowl. As much as I don't want it to because I want the exact opposite, I'm still going to go with the other way. I'm going to go with... I'm still going to pick New England. I hope the Vikings make it. I think they. I, I think they pulled this out today. Yeah. All right, Cam. I'm going to wrap up the show now because uh, we got to get these picks over to the people. So I'm going to post this online. Uh, we'll talk during the game, and hopefully, we uh, they actually make it worth our while. So, best of luck, buddy. Uh, they won't make it worth our while because I'm going to hate myself watching these. But, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, as as hate it as least as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you may catch me, um, you know, drinking a few brewskis because of this. Well, that, that that's not the worst thing in the world. All right, Matt. <laughs> Take it exactly. easy. You can't, you can't 
Bortles Mania. Enjoy the Bortles Mania, folks. <laughs> Later. Alright guys, enjoy the games and I will obviously tune back in later with recap of everything. So uh, that's all for now. Take it easy. talked about position in all of sports the quarterback and now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field celebrity qb featuring four-time super bowl champion coach charlie weiss unlike other football shows you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks like is this the year tom brady finally looks his age will dating danica patrick distract aaron Rodgers? i mean he's dating danica patrick charlie we're interested in that you know well i mean tommy's got giselle i'll, I'll take giselle okay <laughs> is dak prescott good enough to win a super bowl for the cowboys which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018 how about intellectually charlie as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now the game has changed but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.